Well, as Curtis said, it's that time of year again. It's December 31st. We're on the verge of a brand new year. And if you haven't by now, you've probably seen articles or billboards that say, it's a new year. It's going to be a new you this year. Or 50 ways to become the best you you can be this year. Now, you might be like some who like to go after New Year's resolutions, and that's a great thing if you're able to stick with them. I definitely don't want to make light of any goals that you might have for this year. So I'd give you a hearty amen and a high five if you're going for those this year. But we all know the stigma that goes with New Year's resolutions, especially with weight loss being one of the major ones. And we know what happens. It's a new year. It's going to be a new me. And that person will go to the gym. They'll get a membership. Then they'll go work out and get really sore because they haven't worked out since last January when they made that resolution. And then in a few weeks, it's over. And you look back and think, what a waste of money. Or as one comedian put it, when he got a gym membership on a new year, a free trainer came along with it to give him instruction. And he came to up to him and he said, well, why don't you tell me what your workout goals are? And he said, workout goals? I'm just here so that I don't eat for an hour and a half. <laughs> or as one man that I saw, <laughs> he made a resolution to lose just enough weight this year so that his tummy didn't jiggle when he brushed his teeth. <laughs> There's all kinds of resolutions you can make. Now, all joking aside, it's a good thing to set personal goals and to work hard to achieve them, absolutely. So I don't mean to say that we shouldn't. But the question we're going to look at this morning is, what are those goals for? What's the driving force behind what we're pursuing this year? And not just our goals, but really our general hopes for the year. What's driving those things? Is it our own personal glory and status? Or are we striving towards goals that are part of a larger plan from a holy God. A grander plan where God's going to direct our plans and we follow in obedience under his, under his leadership. He gets the glory and we get the joy. So this morning we're going to rethink or even set aside the motto, New Year, New You. And we're going to focus on New Year, Same Awesome God. We're going to look at an example from Scripture of someone who set aside her plans for what God wanted for her life. And you've probably heard about her the last few weeks. Her name's Mary. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1 this morning, verses 35 through 38. And as we move along, we're going to really specifically get into 37 and 38 and Mary's response to the angel. So in the verses leading up to this passage, Mary's greeted by the angel Gabriel with quite an announcement informing her that she is going to bear a son, the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. And she asked a clarifying question. How is this going to be in my situation? I'm young, I'm unmarried, I'm a virgin. And that brings us to our passage this morning. So Luke chapter 1, if you want to follow along, verses 35 through 38. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. 
for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So the first point we're going to look at this morning is in this new year is to be a servant of the Lord under God's mission. Be a servant of the Lord under God's mission for you. So let's look at Mary's response. And the first aspect of it is that she trusted the message. And this is no small thing. Think of the message that she received here. <laughs> I mean, this earth-shattering, historic message. There's no way she could understand the gravity of what's going on here just yet. But she trusted God immediately. This overwhelming, terrifying, historic, thrilling announcement. She believed what was spoken to her because she trusted in the power of the one who sent the message, God Almighty. And she says, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And if we were to look back in this passage just a little bit, we see that Mary does ask a question of the angel. How can this be in my situation? But we can surmise from the text and from her immediate humble submission to the direction that she was just simply asking a clarifying question. She just wanted to know how this was going to be. She was seeking propriety and holiness. And what's amazing about young Mary here is that her trusting response is really in contrast to several figures all throughout Scripture who received commissions and had either a doubt or an excuse as to why they might not be able to do what God commissioned them to do. Think of Moses. I can't speak well. I need somebody to speak for me. About Gideon. God called Midian, or Gideon to lead Israel against the Midianites. Gideon said, well, my tribe's the weakest clan in Manasseh, and I'm the weakest in my father's house. I can't do that. Or how about Zechariah in Mary's own day? Just before in Luke, we read that Zechariah did not immediately believe God's directive about Elizabeth having a son in her old age. He said, I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, notice, guys, it's just a side note. Zechariah, at least as it's translated here, Zechariah has been around the block. He says, I'm an old man, but my wife, she's advanced in years. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. He's been a married man. But as priest, Zechariah should have been around the block and remembered Abraham. When God told Abraham that his wife in their old age would have a son, a son of promise. But here we have Mary. She trusts God from the get-go. Also, the angel tells her, nothing will be impossible with God. Mary believes that as well. And as we've seen in Scripture, God tends to specialize in the impossible, or what we in our minds see as impossible. Creation, the parting of the sea, manna from heaven, the feeding of the 5,000, the resurrection from the dead, Lord Jesus. We could go on and on there. Now, Zechariah most likely did not remember Abraham in his moment, but could, have, could Mary have remembered that when Abraham was approached by God and told that his wife Sarah would have a son a year later. Remember, the Lord said to Abraham right after that, is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe that was in 
Mary's mind at that point. Or maybe she was thinking of Jeremiah chapter 32, when the prophet Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, it's you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Maybe Mary was thinking back to these things when she got the announcement from the angel about what was going to happen. In any case, she believes and trusts what God said to her, that she would be the mother of the Lord Jesus. And really, as simple as this point is, it's so important for us as Christians to remember what God has said about us and who we are now, our identity in him. So what has he said about us? And Curtis was ahead of the game here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And a study on that word new in that, uh, in that verse, it's a really rich word. It's new in quality. It's fresh in development. It's not found like it was before. It's a complete transformative newness. And so we're born again into new life, which is now life in the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in Ephesians that for those of us in Christ, we're now sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And I encourage you to do a study on Romans chapter 8 in your spare time about the way that Father, Son, and Spirit have us completely wrapped up in relationship with him. This is so cool. And this all comes straight out of Romans 8, if you want to give it a read this week. So God the Father, he sent his son Jesus. He's for us. He justifies us. He loves us. We have God in the flesh, the son of God, Jesus. He bought our souls back with his blood. He paid the price for our sins on the cross. He was raised back to life. And he's now at the right hand of the Father, constantly interceding for us this sacrifice. And then God the Holy Spirit. And remember Jesus, an amazing statement. He told his disciples, it's actually better that I go back to where I was before and that the Holy Spirit comes to you. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He leads us. He bears witness that we are in Christ to our spirit. And he intercedes for us in prayer. He actually prays along with us, sort of translating what we say to the Lord in accordance with God's will. So Father, Son, and Spirit have us wrapped up now. And this is our identity for those of us who are in Christ. Everything we do and say now revolves around this relationship and our identity in him. So it's critical for us as Christians to know who we are and how we move forward from that. And if we do trust what God has said about us, it's going to absolutely dominate and transform any goals or hopes or desires that we have as the Holy Spirit works within us. So let's go back to Mary's response. As we've said, she believed, she trusted, step one. And so now let's see step two, what her response is going to be, how she's going to move forward. She says, let it be done to me according to to your word. Let it be done to me according to your word. Now Mary not only believes, but she's completely submitted herself under God's will. And this is the posture that we as Christians now should take in our entire lives and in this new year. 
Say, God, let your will be done in my life. Let it be according to your word, whatever you want for my life, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to say in the moment where I'm at, let it be according to your word and your guidance. So whatever plans Mary had at this point, they're kind of going out the window. God's taken over, and she submits herself to him as a great example to us. And so just as Mary trusted God and submitted her life to God, we are to do the same now as believers, as we live in fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we're no longer concerned as Christians with fleshly goals, fleshly plans or desires. All these things are now completely under the leadership of God and his will for our lives. And we, again, we're new creations. We're born to new life. And so this obedience to God, more and more as the Spirit works in us, now becomes who we are. It's just who we are. And so what might be some examples of this in our lives? These are hypothetical, but maybe, maybe you've been offered a promotion opportunity at, at your workplace or a job opportunity. Instead of just jumping at it, we might say, God, is this what you want for me and my family? more money, it's higher position, my family and friends, boy, they're really going to like this. That's very possible that God might be blessing you and giving you an opportunity to bless your family with your time and with more money, more provision. And if that's the case, if you're able to confirm that through God's word, through fellowship with godly saints, godly counsel, and through prayer, then thank him. Say, thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done for me. Amen. But at the same time, just because an opportunity presents itself to us doesn't necessarily mean that's what God wants us to do or the direction he wants us to go, especially if it gets in the way of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and leading our families in the same manner. So lay it before the lordship of Jesus, whatever it is, and follow his lead. And whichever way he guides you, it'll end up being a joy to you, joy to you as you follow him hand in hand through the process and come closer to him. Or maybe you're having a tough, heated conversation with one of your kids. Not that that ever happens with any of us here. But remember to pause and take a deep breath and remember the Lordship of Jesus in your life and ask him, Lord, please give me wisdom in this moment. Please give me wisdom in this moment to teach my kids what you want me to teach them. And it's amazing. I know several of you have told me about experiences where you've done that in your life, and you come away from it thinking, how in the world did I know to say that? Well, I do know it was the Holy Spirit. That didn't come from me. And so you sense his presence and his strength and his wisdom in that moment when you ask him. And so we seek the Lord for everything in our lives now. Every decision, every dollar, every word spoken, every step we take, every breath. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You say, wow, that's serious. That's really serious. Yes, it's very serious. It's serious like when the Lord Jesus carried our sins to the cross. When he took our sin and our shame, the perfect son of God, all the way to the cross. It's very serious. So all of these things, every breath is now for the glory of God. Jesus has taken up residence in our lives as believers, and his Spirit's now at work in us. 
So we as Christians need to be willing to lay down whatever plans we might have for the will of God and surrender to the Lord. And C.S. Lewis, you remember J.D. told us that if you quote C.S. Lewis, you can sound really smart to people around you, right? Well, here's another opportunity. C.S. Lewis said, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He's a rebel who must lay down his arms. Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He's a rebel who must lay down his arms. And this is the idea of surrender for us as believers, completely giving up our will and our lives to God and where he wants to take us and what he wants to do in us. Again, I want to hit this again. It's good to make plans, to steward your family, to care for your finances, to take care of things. We should do that. But at the same time, we need to remember Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So we need to keep that in mind. So we hold our plans loosely. And if I can share a little bit about my own life, looking back, I'm 41 right now. And when I turned 30, that was kind of one of those milestone birthdays, you know, turning turn the big 3-0. And so I, I, I saw that as an opportunity to, to seek after the Lord. And leading up to that 30th birthday, I went through a period of really intense uh, prayer and fasting. And, and it was all for, all for the purpose of asking God, where do you want me and my family to go? Because I didn't want life to go by and not have that time where I really said, man, I sought the Lord then for his direction for our lives. And so I was excited. I was really excited about what the Lord was going to show us and maybe these new adventures he was going to take us on. And he definitely uh, answered. And let me first preface this. I'll say that anytime the Lord answers our prayers, it's always out of his love and wisdom. It's always out of his love and wisdom for us. And this was no exception. But he gave me a hard answer, tough answer. It's not the one I was looking for. Two things immediately happened that very month that I sought the Lord then. One was I had a chronic condition called ulcerative colitis flare up on me for the very first time that I didn't know was in the works. It zapped my energy. It totally dictated where I went and when, what I could eat and when. So I was dealing with that. But then two... I ended up reading an article, I can't remember where it was now, but this article, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than it just struck me like a knife, and it, and it forced me to rethink sin from my, from my past, especially the distant past that I had never really truly dealt with, and it really threw me for a loop. Um, I had not taken it seriously as I should have. And it was like the Lord was taking me through a period in my life where I needed to, to address that fully with him and really work through it and with the people that it affected. He wanted me to understand just how sinful my sin was. I grew up in the church and didn't really get in a whole lot of trouble. But it was at this time in my life, at 30 years old, the Lord said, we got some things to work on. It was almost like he was saying, hey, I'm glad you're asking about this. Now let's get to work. So God led me through a wilderness period of sorts that included depression, but it also gave me that understanding of the ugliness of my sin and my own desperate need for forgiveness, which I do believe I had at that time as a, with a relationship with the Lord, but he took me on a new journey within that relationship. 
But also at that time of hardship, he helped me understand what it feels like to deal with a chronic illness, the daily need to call on him for strength and for help. I know a lot of you know that. And he gave me the ability to empathize with those who deal with that pain every day, the wearisome, tired, everyday nature of it. So what I'm trying to say here is that God didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted him to. But he took me through what I needed, just like a loving father would. He gave me what I needed. And looking back on that time of an intense hardship for me, I look back on it and there were, there were some things I wish I could go back and, and recapture, you know, um, things that I would have liked to do with Brittany and with the girls and um, that, I, that I should have and didn't. Um, but it, it really forced me to understand that God was healing me. He was healing me and training me for future, uh, future fruit. And I have to mention uh, my precious wife was there through it all, faithfully, alongside me. And, uh, and God bless her, and I'm deeply thankful for her. So I better keep going before I start crying here. So I share this with you for a few reasons. One, if you really have a time like that with the Lord and he takes you through something similar, not to be taken, you know, taken back by it, but to go through it with him, to trust his leadership and his hand in your life, and two, to testify, looking back, of his faithfulness through it all. He was there the whole time. Whether I felt him or not, he was there. And he was helping me through it and preparing me and training me. Just like he is all of you. And there's been, uh, in our body here at Harvest, we've had a lot of surgeries lately here. And that's, that's really what was going on in my heart and my mind. God was doing surgery on me. It was going to be worse at the start. But later on, it was going to be well worth it, and it was going to be healing, a time of training. So if the Lord's taking you through a desert or a wilderness right now, hang on. Just keep going with him. It's going to be worth it. Every part of our lives is to be under the Lord's leadership. He's not interested in just a partial restoration of your heart and your soul. He's not interested in putting a Band-Aid on really deep wounds. He wants to completely Heal you, heal your heart and your mind, your soul. So we look back now, at transitioning back to the text, verse 36. We see God, Mary's in a tough spot now, but we see God gracing Mary with this really sweet fellowship. Verse 36, when many were probably shunning Mary for her situation, not understanding the divine plan that was at work, here God gives Mary Elizabeth for fellowship during this time. And Elizabeth is also blessed with a miracle of her own in her old age or in her advanced years, as Zachariah said. So here's Mary. She's been told by the angel that her relative Elizabeth is in her six months of pregnancy already. So how encouraging must that have been for Mary, hearing all these things that she heard, to then go and see Elizabeth and say, wow, that's already happened, just like the angel said it would. And how much would that have encouraged her for what the angel proclaimed to her about her own son, that he would be the Messiah, the one who would come and forgive sins? So what a wonderful thing that God does here to help encourage Mary and give her fellowship through this time. 
I think many have said before, or asked the question, have there ever been two expectant mothers who had more to talk about in history? You've got Elizabeth carrying John the Baptist. And remember, Jesus said, John the Baptist, there's never been anyone like him. You know, Jesus said that. And then, of course, Mary carrying the Son of God. So imagine the conversations they must have had, the encouragement they must have given each other. And think about a time in your own life, maybe when you were standing up for Christ. And maybe some family and friends weren't real excited about it, and you maybe even had some relationships severed because of it. Can you think of a brother or a sister who helped you through that time, who came alongside you and said, you know what, I see you're going through a hard time, but keep going. The Lord's with you. You're obeying the Lord. Keep going. It makes a huge difference when we do that for each other. And so when Mary, when she goes to stay with Elizabeth and her family, I don't think there's any, I don't think it's any coincidence that right after she sees Elizabeth and gets this encouragement from her that she bursts out in song. This is Mary's song. It's called the Magnificat. And she begins and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So how cool is that? And just one side note that I do think is worth mentioning. While we respect and admire Mary, she was in need of salvation just like we are. At the very start of Mary's song, the very first thing she says, we just read it, my soul magnifies the Lord and rejoices in who? God my Savior. She recognized her need for salvation too. And also if we look to the words of Jesus himself in Mark chapter 10, and we're hitting on this because there are some circles, especially Catholic circles, that believe that Mary was sinless. In Mark chapter 10, we see Jesus is approached by a rich man, and this rich man says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as he often does, he responds with a question, and he says, why do you call me good? And we know that Jesus is good. Jesus is trying to get this man to acknowledge who he is. But he goes on to say, no one is good except God alone. No one's good except God alone. So he makes the point that there's no one who is good except God himself. So while we love and respect and revere Mary, we admire her, she needed salvation as well. And we need to lovingly help our friends who believe otherwise uh, understand these scriptures. So Mary, she believes what God has said. She trusts him. She submits her life to his will. God graces her with what she needs to get through this time. Strength from Elizabeth in a shared circumstance. She gives God all the glory and the praise. So what an example Mary is to us. Belief, surrender, praise. So let us here at Harvest, let us tell the Lord this year and the rest of our lives, I am your servant, let it be done according to your word. And we mentioned the phrase, new year, new you, earlier. And we're focused here on new year, same awesome God. And if you follow him in prayer and fellowship with his people, getting into his word, God's going to take care of the new you part. He's going to take care of that. He's going to change you from the inside out by his spirit. We're told in Ephesians uh, from Paul that we're God's workmanship that God's preparing us for works to do in advance. And he does his work faithfully 
patiently with us. So think how amazing it is that God invites us to walk with him. The living God walking with him. It's amazing. And Scripture's timeless message tells us how to do this as Christians. We fellowship with God through prayer. Paul says, pray without ceasing. So God invites us to a constant walk and fellowship with him. Pray all the time about everything. We immerse ourselves in his written word, dive into God's word with joy and amazement this year. I recently heard the testimony of a missionary who, as he was on the mission field, he had the opportunity to take to, um, I can't remember what country it was in Africa, but it was, um, it was a, a tribal elder he was meeting with. And this tribe was receiving God's word in their own language for the very first time. The Bible was being delivered to them. And the, the testimony of this missionary was, was that this elder from this tribe literally fell to his knees and started weeping because he had God's word right in front of him. And so what an amazing thing it is to have a chance to be in God's word and to learn from him. We also want to spend time in fellowship with other believers through small groups, ministry opportunities, service projects. And by the way, if, if you know of a service project that you need, know needs done in the community and you think this would be a good opportunity for Harvest, by all means, bring it up and we'll talk about it. We definitely want to meet needs in the community and share the gospel as we do it. Think about how you can use your spiritual gifts for God's glory and his kingdom. Now, spiritual gifts are given at salvation by the Holy Spirit to each one of us for the purpose of bearing fruit for God's kingdom. And each of us are given different gifts. And so when we come together as the body, they meet up together really nicely in unity and service for God's kingdom. And so we'd be happy to help you begin to understand what your spiritual gifts are if you're not quite sure. Now, there are, there are tests online and written tests you can take, and those are fine. Those are okay. But I, I really think one of the best ways to find out what your spiritual gift is is just to jump in. Jump into service opportunities and see the Lord work in you. And if you find that if you jump into something and you're finding that you're energized by it, there's fruit that's coming from it, there's probably a good, uh, probably a good chance that that's a spiritual gift at work in you. So be praying about that. Ask the Lord how to, how to help you use your gifts. Lord, how can I bear fruit for you this year? What do you want me to do? Where am I most needed in service for your kingdom? And when you find that your gifts get matched up with areas of needs, just watch God go to work in your life. It's an awesome thing. And that's really the new you we would want to talk about. God creating you, recreating you into the image of his son to the new you that he wants you to be. So it's a new year, and we have the same awesome God still with us, with us forever. So give him everything. And just as Mary did, say, Lord, I'm your servant. Let it be to me according to your will. Let's pray. Lord, again, thank you for this time. Thank you, thank you for your word and your truth. The, the sureness of your promises to us. Thank you for Mary's example and the amazing work that you did in her life and at that time. Thank you for the amazing work you're doing in us now. You're still at work. We know that. So, Lord, this year, 
for us here at Harvest. Lord, make us your servants and let it be according to your word in us as we move forward. Lead us by your spirit and we love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.